466? I don't know it. Hey, I do need to learn that. I didn't say we weren't going to sing it. <laughs> I will say this. If you know 466, I'd appreciate it if you would sing out. We're going to try number 466. Might sing that first one a couple times.
We're going to sing number 489 now. 489. And if you can, let's all stand. 489. seated. We're going to be in John chapter 2 tonight, so if you would go to John chapter 2. Had an interesting conversation just before church with uh, Jimmy, and we're just talking about just how many different ways there are to understand the Word of God and what we're supposed to do, and and just uh, in relation to tonight's message, I found it very profitable 
to uh, whenever I go to a text, just to try to see it with fresh eyes, to see it for the first time, and uh, just ask the Lord, what is the message? And I, I will tell you this, a lot of times, we use a fancy word in theology, is there's exegesis, which means you get your message out of the text, and then there's a word that we created called eisegesis, where you come with a message and you look for a text, <laughs> okay? And uh, I will tell you, the second way is not as good. The better, better way is to go to the text and say, Lord, what are you trying to say? And John chapter 2, it would be real easy for us to just take and pull out what we like. To be honest with you, if I asked you what John chapter 2 was about, most of you would be familiar enough to know. I said, well, that's a wedding, wedding feast at Cana. That's, you know, that's, that's good. And it is, but you need to realize in the context of what's going on, that God is in the process of revealing Jesus Christ to us, not just as, if you will, a king or a man or a servant, but he is, in the book of John, revealing us to him as God in the flesh, okay? Now, I will tell you that you can believe that Jesus was a great man. You can believe Jesus is a king. You can believe Jesus is a wonderful servant. Matter of fact, you could probably find pretty good agreement across the board amongst a lot of people, even enemies of Christianity who would agree with all those things. But when it comes to the next thing... Uh, people are a little bit disinclined to believe that Jesus Christ is God. And I want you to know that in chapter 1, he, he starts with that. He says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And If you will, it talks about how that he was revealed, if you will, through the Word. And then he sent, if you will, a witness. He sent John the Baptist, and John the Baptist came, and behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, you know. And he, he took, and, and he was the one that was fulfilling prophecy from the book of Malachi that God would send a servant in front of him that would take and make the road smooth for him so that he could just come into his kingdom. And that's, that's who John the Baptist was. And so that's what happened in, in, in John chapter 1, is God is basically saying, this is, this is God in the flesh. This is your Messiah. This is the one you're looking for. And you can trust the word of God, and you can trust the witness of God. And so now, if you will, in chapter 2, you begin to see people who are, if you will, uh, converted or, if you will, their, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Their lives have been influenced by this message. Their lives have been changed by this message, okay? But rather than reading, well, I, I, I don't want to read because I preached a couple weeks ago or a month ago at this point in John chapter 2, in the wedding feast of Cana, and we saw some different things there. But I want to begin at the very end of that. So go to verse 11, if you would. And in John chapter 2 and verse 11, the Bible says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory. Okay, meaning he revealed his glory. Okay, I, I am God the Son. You remember at the Mount of Transfiguration, he did it there too. You remember that? He was changed before them, and he, he revealed his glory unto them. So in a sense, this is what's taking place, though, you know, not in that, in that, that form. And notice, can you all say the next with me? It says, and his disciples believed on him. Notice the key there, disciples, okay? And, and continue until we go down here a little bit. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, after this, he went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and founded the temple, those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, 
and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things, hence make not my father's house and house of merchandise. By the way, if he's claiming that this is his father's house, folks, you remember they wanted to kill him for that statement later because if you make him your father, then you're making him yourself equal with the father. Father God, okay? By the way, was Jesus confused on who he was? No, his whole point was to convince them of who he was. And we started again in verse, in chapter 1. And so the Bible says this, it says, uh, uh, in verse 17, it says, And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Since you've made this claim that this is your house, your father's house, they understood what he meant, guys, okay? Then what miracle are you going to show us? They had a right to ask him for that, by the way. And so he says, okay, I'll give you a miracle. And the Bible says in verse 19, it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And, they, and then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and that would rear it up in three days. But he spake of the temple of his body. Uh, when therefore he was risen from the dead, say the next part with me, his disciples remembered. Y'all see that? His disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus now said. Now I want you to notice here, so far he's been talking about things that he's done for his disciples to believe. Now I want you to notice the next verse here and see if there's a difference. Okay? Because in verse 23 the Bible says, But when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover... In the feast day, many believed on his name. You all hear that? Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Man, they were impressed. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any uh, should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And I'll, I'll explain what that means here in a little bit. But notice this. All the, all the miracles that he did for the disciples are recorded. All the, all the miracles that he did for these believers are unrecorded, okay? And there's a reason for that. We'll see that here in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to open your word, to sing your praises here tonight. We do pray for those who are apart from us. We just pray that you'd heal bodies and restore people to us. Be with those who might be hunting. Keep them safe, Lord. And, and we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless us as we try to serve you this week ahead. Just help us to grow closer to you, to understand greater who our God is. And Father, just help us to proclaim that message in a lost and dying world while there's still hope. Father, we love you and we thank you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to ask a question in the title. I've, I've entitled this message, The Difference Between Disciples and Believers. Okay? The Difference Between Disciples and Believers. Is there a difference? Obviously there's a difference. I mean, you wouldn't have to have the two different terms if there wasn't a difference, okay? And if you will, miracle after miracle was done so that the disciples might believe. The disciples understood later. The disciples did this. The disciples did that. And then at the very bottom it talks about many miracles that he did, and they believed in, in him, okay? And by the way, there is a big difference. We use this illustration all the time, but there is a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing on Jesus. Amen? I won't go into that because I believe that's familiar. But I, I just want you to think about this. What are, what are the, 
the two different groups learning. And then we'll make some applications at the end, okay? So go back to verse 11, if you would. And notice this. When it comes to disciples, Jesus had the power to transform. What did he do? He transformed the water into wine. By the way, is that an impressive miracle? Yeah, I mean, that's an impressive miracle, water into wine. And, and by the way, it passed the taste test. If you think about that, you can say, well, it just looked like wine. No, it was wine. And the guy who was in charge of the, of the, of the wedding said, that's the best wine I ever had. I mean, that's kind of the implication there, is it not? He says, man, you brought out the good stuff, okay? This is the best. And by the way, they had already brought out the good stuff, which means that he brought out the better stuff. You guys understand that? And please take this the right way, but when God transforms something, he doesn't just transform it a little. He, can, he transforms it all the way. He gives us the very best. I think we ought to understand that. I think we ought to appreciate that sometimes. You know, he did transform water into wine. But more importantly, what else does he do? And, and, and if you're here tonight and you know Christ is your Savior, can I tell you at one point in your life, he transformed a sinner into a saint. Now, how many sinners do we have here tonight? Are you still sinners? <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? You're also saints, and praise God for that. If you know Christ as your Savior, amen? You're the sanctified ones. You're the set-apart ones. You're the ones that belong to Jesus Christ. That's what a saint is. A saint is not somebody who walks around in a robe with their hands like this and humming all the time. <laughs> you know, That's not a saint. A saint is somebody who God has transformed and said, this one's mine. This one's mine. Get a hold of this, folks. We belong to Jesus. Don't take this farther than I mean it. Jesus doesn't belong to us. You all understand the point? Now listen, he's, he's our God. You guys understand that. But my point is this, is quite often Jesus is just simply doing these miracles and, and, and the, half the time the disciples, why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, you'll see. I have things prepared for you and you're going to need to know this later. And you remember this? Uh, you remember Jesus when he was, uh, was he 12 or 13? He was 12, right? And they came and they found him in the temple asking questions. And he looked at his stepdad, if you will, and he says, don't you know that I need to be about my father's business? Amen. Listen, I have a job to do. I, I didn't come here to just live life. I, I came here because I have a job to do. Amen. And even uh, the sad truth, not the sad truth, the important truth, is that he submitted himself to his parents from the age of 12 until he became a grown man. Amen. He submitted himself to their authority and to their rule, amen, and was found pleasing because of that, okay? You say, well, he's God. Why would he have to do that? I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, amen? He had to grow up, okay? He had to have a normal childhood so that he could understand the feelings of our infirmities and the weakness of our flesh, if you will. And so a lot of times you might not understand why God does things the way that he does, but can I tell you this? God does everything for a purpose. And here he was proving, I have the power to transform. This is my first miracle, okay? My first miracle is I have the ability to change water into wine. I have the ability to turn sinners into saints, amen? And I have the ability to take people who are worthless for this world and turn them into the most important resources that I have at my disposal. Why? To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, amen? And, and so if you will... Literally, he takes the worst and he turns it into the better. Amen. I want you to think about this because I think it's important. 
I think, you know, does God say, somebody, uh, it was, he was preaching Sunday and he said, God hates some things. I was trying to think, you guys know some things God hates? God hates a proud look. Everything about that? that? When he preached that, I was thinking about that. And I, and I was thinking about, God hates a proud look. Why? Well, I tell you, for one thing, don't be proud against God. Pride destroys relationships and everything like that. And anyhow, my whole point, my whole point is this. You know, we can take and we can get proud about what God has turned us into, or we can be humbled that God had to do it in the first place. Amen. God has tra transformed us from being sinners into saints and, and from being worthless into being worthwhile. And, 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 and if you will, uh, somebody who is at enmity with God to somebody who has become the friend, and if you will, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, the witness or the martyr for God. Amen? And so if you will, Jesus uh, had the power to transform. That's, that's the lesson of the water into wine. Go to verse 17 now. And I'm going to use a fancy word here, but uh, you guys know what the word prescience means? That's well, a fancy word, but it started with a P. <laughs> okay, prescience. It's prescience, okay? It means to know beforehand, okay? So look what it says in verse 17, okay? In verse 17, the Bible says this. It says, and his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now I want you to think about this. What had happened here is he had just walked into the temple, okay? Now today, what is, what is remaining of the temple? Somebody talk to me. If, if somebody wanted to go to Israel, what could they see of the temple Jesus saw? What, what is still to be seen? The wailing wall is the foundation wall. It's the only part left. The rest of it's been raised, Okay. And that's the reason that the Jews pray there is because it's the closest they can get to the Holy of Holies uh, because they're not allowed on the Temple Mount to worship or to pray, okay? And so they go to the Wailing Wall and you see them praying like this. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but a lot of times they'll write scriptures or prayer requests and they'll put them in the holes of the rock and different things like that. And that's where, if you will, they, they kind of exercise their faith. Well, back then, this was a tremendous building, a how many of y'all have been to Washington, D.C.? Well, we need to take a trip, man. We need more people to go to Washington, D.C. Anybody ever been to, boy, I'm trying to think of a, any of you kids know what a mall is? <laughs> I only asked that because we went to Joplin the other day, and uh, the Joplin Mall is about dead. Have you seen that? I mean, there's hardly anything left in it. What I'm trying to get you to understand is um, for those of us who were around in the 70s and the 80s, old people, you know what I'm talking about? We used to go to the mall. Okay, now you guys know what a mall is? Really? I'm just teasing here a little bit. And they're big places. A lot of times they got the big fountains, and, and a lot of times there'll be activities there. And then if you got to do any shopping, you could go and do shopping there. And, and uh, usually they have benches to rescue the husbands. Amen. You know, women. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it was a place of commerce. It was a place of activity. Okay, well, th that doesn't happen today. That's why all the malls are dying. Where do people go today to, I don't know. I mean, I, Amazon. <laughs> you know, the sad truth is that that's a sad truth. Yeah, we live in a virtual world today, don't we? Um, 
Well, the reason I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand this is they, they said at that time that if you've never seen Herod's temple, you've never seen a beautiful building. Meaning this was one of the most beautiful buildings in the Roman Empire. Because this was part of the Roman Empire. Have you guys seen the Roman Empire? I mean, the marble columns and the big... Uh, by the way, all those columns at one time used to hold up a ceiling. Okay? They're, they didn't just put columns out. <laughs> okay? It used to hold up a ceiling, and there was a structure under there, and there was activity under there. And, and quite often it was pagan worship, but here it was the worship of the Lord. And, and, and if you will, they, they had different areas. They had an area for the Gentiles. Anybody could go. And then they had an area for women. That's Jewish believers. Women could go in. And, and, and then the men, they had a, the men's court. They could go in. And then, of course, the priests could go where the sacrifices were, were done. And then, of course, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Y'all understand that? And if you will, they would serve and worship the Lord in this place at this time. And the whole purpose was to give the proper sacrifice and to observe all the sacrifices, Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles, okay? And then, of course, Sabbath services, all right? Well, when is Jesus there? He's there during Passover. Is that an important one? It's the most important one. Okay, and if you will, all of Israel would come, and the problem is, is all the males who are Jewish would have to come to Jerusalem three times a year if they could, and they would have to offer sacrifice, and when they would go to offer their money, they couldn't offer their money, and boy, tonight would have been the perfect night for me to bring my widow's mites. Would have been the perfect night. Anybody know what's usually on a Roman coin? Anybody know? Yeah, Whoever stamped the coin, it's going to be a Caesar or some general or some ruler or something like that. Or a, a, an idol, okay, on the back side, the obverse side. And, um, and so when it came time for them to offer their sacrifices, they couldn't put Roman coins into the offering plate. Why? Because they had pagan symbols on them. Okay, you guys understand that? And so they would have to come and they would have to say, uh, here, I need you to exchange this money. Has anybody ever exchanged money? If you've traveled overseas, usually you lose a little bit. Uh, uh, sometimes you make up on the, on the exchange rate, but you usually have to pay a fee or something like that. Well, that's how they made their money. They, they would say, we'll trade your Roman for our temple coins. These are acceptable for offering and for sacrifice. The only problem is they would skim a little off the top. Y'all understand that? But then some people would say, well, I need to bring a sheep for sacrifice. And they would bring a sheep and they would get there and say, man, this, this sheep is worn and haggard. But we got a beautiful model over here. By the way, anybody here ever traded cars? <laughs> Have you ever noticed how yours is a piece of junk? That I don't know if I should buy that, but just because it's in, I'll give you $500 for it. And then a week later, you see it on the lot for $15,000. <laughs> guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. You're like, mm, my car was worth $15,000. No, no, you don't have the ability to do that. Um, uh, anybody know who was responsible for the money exchange and for the, the animal exchange? It was the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the high priests. They were the majority of the Sanhedrin. And they were the ones that didn't believe in a resurrection. Know what that means? They were Jews by convenience, but not Jews by faith. Anybody know who the head of them was? Well, the head of them was a guy named Caiaphas, because he was the high priest, and he was a Sadducee. But even he answered to somebody. He answered to his father-in-law named Annas. 
And if you want to do some, uh, some studying, it's interesting studying. But you can see, and I'll show you the verses here in just a moment. But when Jesus got arrested and they held him for trial, the first place he went to trial was Annas' house. Why did they go to Annas' house? He was the head of the Pharisees. See, the problem was he couldn't keep that office for more than a year at a time, but everybody knew who was in charge. Why? Because he was the one making all the money off of the money exchangers. You guys understand that? Let, let me show you the verses just so you can see it. I'm just giving you some background here to make a point. But I want you to see this. Um, go to uh, John chapter 11 first. John chapter 11. Look at verse 47. This is after the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And the Bible says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we, for this man doeth many miracles? If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Folks, that place is their position, their, their authority, their, their rank. Okay? And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being the high priest that year, he, that year, see that? He prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. By the way, he had no idea what he was saying, did he? He wasn't just dying for the nation, he was dying for the whole world. Amen. Go, if you will, uh, to Luke chapter 3, please. Luke chapter 3. Look at verse 2. The Bible says in verse 2 here, it says, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests. Can I ask you a question? How many kings can you have? One? Well, how many high priests can you have? So why does it say two high priests? What did I just tell you a second ago? Caiaphas was the one holding the office, but Annas was the one who was really in charge. And how do we know that? Well, it's not only this verse here. It says Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest, which is nonsense. Only one of them could hold the office. Annas was the one who had the real power. Caiaphas was the one who was nominally the, the, the high priest that year. Go, if you will, to Luke chapter 18. Look at verse uh, 1. I'm sorry, John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And look at verse 1. second here. I'm sorry, is it 12? Maybe so. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I just forgot to put the two in there. The Bible says, Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to, what's the Bible say there? Annas first. Now, why would they go to Annas first, folks? Because he was in charge, all right? Annas was the one in charge. He was the one that had the money. You can take and do a historical search if you want to, but Annas actually had a palace, okay? Annas was so rich that he had a palace. He was, he was an exceeding rich and powerful man, 
and he wasn't going to let Jesus mess up his business, okay? And that's the reason he was so upset that he ran out the money changers. Jesus didn't do it to make Annas mad. Jesus did it to do this. This is my house. You guys understand that? This is my house. My father's house. If it's my father's house, my house, okay? And if it's my father's house, this is God's house. And if this is God's house, I then am God. You all understand that? And so I, I will tell you that it's hard for them to get their minds around that. But go to Psalm 69. Let me show you how that this is a fulfillment of Scripture. Okay? Psalm 69. In Psalm 69 and verse 9 is where we're going. By the way, I'll just to get a context, in verse 8, it says, I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. When Jesus came, he had to introduce himself because they didn't recognize who he was because they'd become a stranger to him. God had become a stranger to him, amen? And then he says in verse 9, he says, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Now, he didn't say he fulfilled that second part, but that second part, of course, is, is Christ in the crucifixion, amen? But the first part of that says, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now, how many of y'all would have figured out that that meant that he was going to take a scourge and run all the money changers out of the temple. I'm just telling you, the thing that's interesting about it is sometimes we don't understand these scriptures until they're fulfilled. Jesus understood it, and the disciples, listen, get a hold of this, the disciples understood that it applied. Matter of fact, to help understand this, go to Psalm 119. Go to Psalm 119, verse 139. Psalm 119, verse 139. The Bible says, Thy hath consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Okay? And by the way, what, why were they selling things that were more interested in business on the Temple Mount than worshiping God on the Temple Mount? They had forgot the word of God. Y'all understand that? And so, so, if you will, Jesus had the prescience, he had the foreknowledge, if you will, to fulfill scriptures that they couldn't have understood until he actually fulfilled them. They knew only, uh, uh, they knew this, when he, when he did this, they, they knew only someone claiming to be Messiah would have the courage to do this in the temple. And so, if you will, the disciples looked and said, only, only, the, only the Messiah would have courage to do this in the temple. Why? Because they're going to kill him. Listen, they've already said that. We're going to kill you because of this. Amen? Uh, why? Because you're, you're messing up business. Okay. Well, Jesus, of course, understood that. So then they did ask for something that they should have been able to ask for. What sign do you give us that you're the Messiah then? I added the Messiah part, but that was the point of the question. Okay. So that's the third thing. The first thing we saw is Jesus had the power to transform water into wine. Jesus had the prescience to fulfill scriptures they didn't even know needed to be fulfilled, and yet he did it. Okay. And then Jesus gave a prophecy that could only be fulfilled after his death. Go back to our text in John chapter 2. In John chapter 2 and verse 18, the Bible says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What signs showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Okay? Now, of course, they didn't understand. Forty and six years has this temple been in building. By the way, what's there, what are they talking about, 40 and six years? Pardon me? 
Herod's temple, okay? And by the way, everybody know the first temple? Who built the first temple? Okay, who built the second temple? That one's a little bit Zerubbabel, okay? Zerubbabel went back, remember, after from the Babylonian captivity? You all with me? And then who built the third temple? Oh, trick question. Because please take this the right way. God never commanded Herod to build this temple. Amen? If you will, it's not a third temple. This is Herod's temple. The next temple that God is going to command to be built is going to be the millennial temple or Ezekiel's temple. Okay? But if you will, we see here, he's saying 40 and 6 years. He's talking about Herod's temple. It had been being built for 46 years. Okay? And then it says uh, uh, in verse 21, it says, But he spake of the temple of his body. Now, verse 22, notice again this. He says, when therefore he was risen from the dead, say the next two words, please, his, his, disciples. his disciples remembered. Y'all see that? His disciples remembered. How many people heard this prophecy? <laughs> A bunch. But get a hold of this, guys, because this is the point, I believe, of this chapter, because God's the one that says his disciples learned, his disciples heard, or saw, his disciples remembered. You got it? And then at the very end, it talks about believers. And, and so I asked the question again, what is the difference between disciples and believers? What's a believer? I mean, just first off, somebody help me. Define a believer for me. Okay. Um, the Bible says the devils believe also and tremble. Can a believer be somebody who just, if you will, agrees with a set of facts? By the way, have you ever seen soul-winning methods with all you got to do is agree with me and you'll be saved? Can I just let you in a little secret? Agreeing with me doesn't save, save anybody. Excuse me. Agreeing to a set of facts doesn't save anybody. Amen. You know, you know what saves somebody is when somebody repents and then believes, puts their faith or their trust in. There's a big difference between believing in, I understand these facts and I believe them, and believing on. I believe that Jesus is the Christ and as such can save my soul. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, I believe that. Okay? Is there a difference? There's a huge difference. Okay? Now, we grew up in a country that at one time claimed to be a Christian country. Why? Well, because it wrote part of our Constitution, and it's in the Library of Congress, and it's on the doors of the, of the, uh, of the Supreme Court. And, and by the way, all that's true. But if you want to see those things, you've got to sneak around now because they keep the doors of the Supreme Court open so you can't see the Ten Commandments on the two doors. That's a fact. Okay? And my whole point is this is you can be a believer and still disappoint God. Amen? Is it important to believe? Yeah, it is. But can I say this? Jesus was doing all this to make disciples. Amen? I'm trying to think about this. Help me for a second. Just because it's on my mind here, and I didn't study this, so I might be surprised here. Go to Matthew chapter 28. <laughs> Matthew 28. 
No. It just says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe. Okay, so here's my question for you. What is the definition of a disciple? Because we talk about a believer, it's somebody who believes a certain set of facts. Okay? Okay? And you can believe in Jesus, but not believe on Jesus. Have we made that point clear enough? What is a disciple? A follower of the teachings of the teacher. Absolutely. So in a sense, another way of saying disciple is a learner, a student. Okay? And what is a student? Somebody who wants to learn so they can do. I was reading uh, just some news tonight, and it, it, there was some really good... Uh, <laughs> What's field hockey called? Somebody help me. What's that? Lacrosse? There was a woman's lacrosse uh, uh, woman who won a couple championships for North Carolina, was an ex excellent player. And so when she graduated, they asked her to be the coach. Okay. Well, she took the job, and they're up for winning another national championship under her coaching. What, what is the purpose of being a student? So that you can eventually be the coach. <laughs> you guys understand? And so, if you will, there's some people that get saved, and they never get baptized. Amen? We were discussing this earlier. Most churches today say that when you get saved, you're Holy Spirit baptized. That is nonsense. I'm going to say that again until somebody says amen louder. That's nonsense. Why? i, I tell you why, because then they say, well, you don't have to be baptized. Why? Well, you were baptized when you got saved. Excuse me, I was baptized when I went under the water. You know why? Because I had to have the same baptism that the disciples and Jesus had. Don't tell me I need a Holy Spirit baptism when Jesus didn't have one. Come on now, you all understand that? And if you have questions about that, I'll be glad to answer them. Maybe do another lesson on that, okay? But my whole point is this. It's even in our Great Commission. Again, go back and look what it says. Go ye therefore and, what's the Bible say? How can you teach if you don't know? Come on, guys. <laughs> How can you teach if you haven't become disciplined? How can you teach if you haven't been given a command? How can you teach unless you're a disciple? Okay? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Do you realize the whole purpose behind the Great Commission is to produce not just believers, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to be clever here, but that would be going out with an attitude of winning arguments. Okay? I, I don't, I don't want to win arguments. I want to make converts. Just like Jesus did. Okay? Meaning what? Where they don't just become somebody who ascribes to a set of facts, but somebody whose life has been transformed, whereby they say, I've learned the lessons, and now I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what God told me to do. You understand? And so is there a difference between disciples and believers? Well, yeah. See, Jesus had the power to transform. Jesus had the prescience to fulfill Scripture. Jesus gave a prophecy that could only be fulfilled after his death, okay? And then he ends in verse 23. Very interesting. Go back to John 2, verse 23. The Bible says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover at the feast, many believed in his name. Hey, oh, awesome. When they, did see, when they saw the miracles which he did, 
By the way, one of the miracles that everybody accounts of, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the feeding of the 5,000. Amen? It's in the book of John. But can I tell you, there's a couple lessons we learn from the feeding of the 5,000, okay? Well, number one, the Bible says here, and it's kind of hard to understand what he means here, but he's saying this, he didn't entrust himself to the believers. That's what that means in verse 23 when it says commit, okay? He didn't entrust himself to the believers because he knew the hearts of men. And the last part of that means this, and nobody had to explain it to him. That's what it means. He knew what was in the hearts of men. How many of y'all believe he's God? He didn't need a lesson in what man was. Man's heart is desperately wicked above all things. You know what I mean. And so here's, here's the deal. He, he knew these same men who were believers. Could you go to John chapter 6? Because that's the feeding of the 5,000. He knew these people who saw this miracle. He saw that Jesus took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, and took up more than he started with. Amen. And in verse 14, in John chapter 6, here's what they wanted to do because they believed. (laughs) Verse 14, Then those men arose when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Are they believers? Yeah. I'll read the next verse. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. <laughs> he said, when they see the miracles, they're just going to turn me into a king. And folks, he didn't come to be a king the first time. Amen. Now, he knew that, okay? And by the way, why did they want to do that? I'll tell you why. Because he had given them bread and fish. You know what they said? If he's our king, we'll never have to work another day of the rest of our life. By the way, how many of y'all excited for heaven? What do you have to do to eat in heaven? Just not be too lazy to put your hand to your mouth, man. There's fruit on the tree and there's water in the stream. Come on now, amen? All right? But can I just tell you this? You probably ought to want a job, too. Not just to go to heaven, but have something to do when you get there. That's another message for another day, okay? If you will, they wanted Jesus to rule for what he could give them. And please listen to me, folks, but there's plenty of people in this world that want to be Christians as long as you're giving them something. And I'll promise you this, when I first got into the ministry, that was the message of the day. If you'll meet people's needs, you'll build a church. The man who came up with that message decades later recanted of it and said, I did it the wrong way. Amen. Because it's not about giving people what they want. It's about transitioning them into disciples. People who learn lessons. Amen. Not only that, but he also knew that they would turn their back on him if he ever asked anything from them. Notice what the Bible says still in John chapter 6 here. Go to verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... Ye have no life in you. If you keep reading, they say, this is a hard saying. Who can receive it? You know what they're saying? You're asking us to believe that we can eat your flesh and drink your blood. He says, if you don't, you're none of mine. This is a hard saying, huh? I don't don't understand that. By the way, if you will, we receive it by faith. 
Y'all with me? Okay. This is a hard saying. Go down just for sake of time. Skip down to... Uh, um, go back and read that, by the way. But... Uh, in verse 65, it says, And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Okay? Meaning this, you, you don't have the faith to believe because, you know, the Father drew you and you didn't come. Okay? You, you, you believe in the miracles I did and you're glad for it. But you can't believe that I am manna and my blood will save your soul. Okay? Because that's the context there. Amen? Notice what the Bible says in verse 66. It's the saddest verse in the Bible. From that time, many of his, what's the Bible say? Disciples went back and walked no more with him. Can I just say this? They, they turned into believers, not disciples. Because the disciple says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? Lord, you're the master of my life, and you can ask me to do anything. You can ask me to go through anything. Why? Because I know you know. And I want you to know there's some things that we can't understand as Christians except by faith. You all believe all things work together for good? Is that hard to believe sometimes? Amen. I want you to think about this, but even the most faithful if you will, sometimes have moments of weakness. Meaning this, that God knew this. Even the most faithful, he, he, he knew, if you will, they would try to make him king. They knew that they would turn back if he asked too much from them. He knew that even the most faithful had moments of weakness. And just for sake of time, because I'm out of time, but you remember when, uh, when Jesus was being crucified and, and uh, the little girl pointed at Peter and said, you're one of them. No, I'm not lady comes up and says, you're one of them. Your speech betrays you. No, I'm not. So he started cussing. That's what the Bible teaches. Finally, one of them comes up and says, you're one of them. No, I'm not. And he ran off. Amen. Amen. Folks, that was Peter. I'm going to let you in a little secret here. There are few people in this world better Christians than Peter. And Peter let him down. Get a hold of this. The reason God didn't trust himself to man is he knew what was in man. You know what the corollary is? Maybe we should just trust God because we know who he is. Amen? So what is the difference? I, I just want to take and hit you with a couple things. This is why we, if we are disciples of Christ, there's three things I got written down. You could probably add to this list, okay? But the first thing is we need to accept Jesus as our Lord. I'm going to say that again. We need to accept Jesus as our Lord. Okay? Is Jesus the Lord? And I'm not talking about capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, because he is. He is the great I am. Okay? But is he your master? Can he ask you to do anything? Can he ask you to go anywhere? Can he ask you to suffer anything? just because he's in charge. And you know what a believer's going to say? No, it's too hard. Just stop and pause and meditate for that. Amen? But a disciple would say, Lord, to whom shall we go? That's what Peter said. 
and says, Thou hast the words of life. Because he, they, he asked that question. He said, Will you also go away? To Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. You're in charge. You tell us what to do. We'll follow you. We're body. Amen. Big difference between a believer and a disciple. We also need to be careful not to lean to our own understanding. And I would tell you, some people in their Christian walks struggle so much. Why? Because they'll come up with this sentence, I just don't understand. Well, I appreciate that. How many of y'all think God does understand? I think he does. Would you look just real quick, Proverbs chapter 3? Proverbs chapter 3. Look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Think about this for a second. Any of y'all believe things a little different than when you first got saved? Do you? Probably because God did some work in your life, didn't he? Okay. So trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not to thine own understanding. Amen? Meaning what? Lord, you're the Lord. You're the Lord. Okay? And if you don't want to be king, okay. If, if, if you want to take and tell them things they can't understand, okay. If you want to take me through the fire, okay. Why? Because I'm not just a believer, I'm a disciple, I'm sold out. You've got me, okay? I'm going to follow you. So we need to accept Jesus as Lord. We need to lean not to our own understanding, and then we need to know that much of our life, listen now, much of our life is simply a revelation of Jesus to us to give us confidence to follow him, okay? Why did he do the miracle with the water into wine? You can trust me, follow me. Why did he overturn the tables? Hey, don't worry about Annas. I know he owns the whole city, but we're not afraid of him. By the way, that took a little faith to follow that. <laughs> okay? Uh, and then he, he takes it and he's, he says, don't be troubled when I die. And by the way, were they troubled when he died? Yeah. But I got to tell you what, they were like lions after they knew he was risen from the dead. Meaning this, sometimes God takes us through things to get us to the point, just like Abraham. Abraham, here's what I want you to do. We're going to see if you've actually become my disciple. Okay? I want to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me on Mount Moriah. And then the Bible says he got up early the next morning. You all with me? Would to God that we wouldn't just be believers, folks, but that we would be disciples of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to open your word, strengthen our faith, help us to do your will.